0: Revelation 3, uh, 7 to 13. Our church at Philadelphia, Revelation 3, uh, 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Um, so the Church of Philadelphia is one of the seven churches, and it is uh, the one of two of the seven of which there is no rebuke offered. Uh, so just the Church of Philadelphia uh, is both uh, is, is just commended and not criticized, and the Church at Smyrna is only commended and not criticized, but once again, uh, this uh, being a specific local church, and at the same time, representing uh, the church uh, universal in in the world, and uh, down through the ages, the church universal has found out that there's truly, as we've said week by week, from the book of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. And so that uh, the challenges of the church in the first century tend to be f- quite parallel to the challenges of the church in the 21st century as well. Uh, there's not really all that much difference. Uh, God does not change um, uh, the devil doesn 't really change all that much either, and frankly, the nature of people don 't change does not change all that much over over time uh which was you know really quite a startling uh, th- th- this kind of this this kind of thing disappears after the fact and then and then you never hear about it again, right? Because it was a uh, just over a century ago when the uh, ideology and the doctrine of evolution was very much in its heyday, right at the turn of the century. You know, the, uh, the origin of the species had been published uh, 41 years earlier, had taken uh, academia, by 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 storm uh you know married up with uh some utopian marxism and and the notion was wow you know in the uh, now we're we're finally getting to the place in the evolutionary cycle where man has really arrived and uh, and wars will be conquered and cease and it's it's going to be Uh, Pretty much nothing but peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, there were many really highly placed uh, academic voices making that point at the turn of the century. And by the end of the century, what did we realize? Well, we're still a lot more like Genghis Khan in Mongolia, uh, then we are like that utopian vision. We are we are selfish, and when we're selfish, we're brutal and dangerous, and and prone to destroy everything around us, including including ourselves. For all of those reasons, the Bible works, you know, across the generations because fundamentally. Uh, The landscape of God, uh, the devil, and the nature of man uh, does not change. And the only hope for man continues to be rebirth and what's central in our uh, text for this morning. So Revelation 3, 7 to start with. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One and the True One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. Now this is the first time that Jesus is described not using Something from the vision in Revelation chapter one. This time, that vision disappears, um, and uh, and the references are, are made from uh, the Old Testament more uh, directly, as we'll we'll see in a moment. The twofold description, though, the first one is not difficult to follow. At all, right? from the Old Testament, God is regularly referred to as the holy and the true. And so to refer to Jesus as the holy and the true is to certainly hint in the direction of his divinity. We're talking about Jesus in terms that are regularly and all but exclusively used of Yahweh in the Old Testament. So he's, he's holy. He's absolutely unique. There's, there's no one like him. Yahweh is the only uncreated being that there is. Everything else and every other living being has been created by him. Well, that's equally true, of course, of Jesus, the Son of God, because as the New Testament reveals, Yahweh exists in this triune form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, he's true. He's not only, it's again, it's like we said in the last hour. It's not just that God tells the truth. He's the truth in the sense that He is the ground of all that is true. Uh, he is the creator, the sustainer. Everything that we know and can look at and consider true or false, it is what it is because God has made it to be what it is, and in this case, it's the second person of the triune Godhead who has made it to be what it is. Again, John 1, 3, uh, Jesus created all things, and apart from him, the word created all things, and apart from him, was not one thing created, that was created, and again, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth. I am the truth. Uh, so he is the Holy and the true. And then a picture of Jesus as the sovereign mediator. And for this, uh, we'll need to turn to the Old Testament to get a sense of what this image means. So uh, Isaiah 22, verses 15 to 24. The illusion here is to a single verse. He almost quotes the verse word for word. Uh, Isaiah 22, 22. Uh, uh, But that simply summarizes what's going on in verses 15 to 24. So I'm going to read verses 15 to 24. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here? And whom have you here? That you have cut out here a tomb for yourself. You who cut out a tomb to the height and carve a dwelling place for yourself in the rock, behold, the Lord will hurl you away Violently, So Shevna making a big deal of himself. The Lord says, well, you're not going to be a big deal. Um, he throws him away violently. Oh, you strong man. He will seize firm hold of you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into the wild, wide land. And there you shall die. And there shall be your glorious chariots. You shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office and you will be pulled down from your station. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe. And will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And here's the key verse And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, and he shall open, and no one shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house. The offspring and issue, every small vessel from cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way and it will be cut down and fall and the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. So what's going on here? Well, one, one leader underling to the king is being replaced by another And the words applied to Jesus are applied to Eliakim. And the idea is that Jesus is the ultimate mediator. Uh, That like with Eliakim, in Eliakim's service, in Eliakim's um, work, he represented the full power of the king. So he just, whatever Eliakim decides... If you respond against him, you've responded against the king because he and the king are essentially one. So that if he opens a door, you better not try to close it because you'll be closing it against the king. And if he closes a door, you better not open it because you'd be opening that against the king. And so what John is doing is he is applying this Jesus. He's saying to to us that Jesus is the one who has the key of David on his shoulder. He he is the recognized king. He's God's king. He's God's man. And in the ultimate sense, of course, as has been represented throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is actually divine himself. And so though he still represents the Father as a mediator, it is Jesus' own power that guarantees the fact when he opens a door, no one is going to shut it. And when he shuts a door, no one is going to open it which if you believe that, do you see what a comfort that is while you live in this chaotic world and see all that's going on? What is happening? If you don't think about the world with any theological accuracy, what will happen is you will see everything apparently spinning out of control, and you wonder whether or not anything is fixed and reliable anymore, and you find yourself tempted to panic. Um, and and we're going to get to this uh, uh, reference to the um, um, what is often referred to as the rapture later, but. But it's very popular to say we must be near the end. Uh, we everybody it has to be that we're about all to be plucked up because look at look at what a mass things are coming to, you know, here in the good old United States of America, where such things should not happen. But the truth is that we're supposed to constantly be secure. And sure about this. All of this stuff going on is Jesus related. He opens and closes doors. He opens and closes all the doors. And, and, and we are where he has designed us to be right now. So, no, 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 that can't be. Oh, it is. It is. It's the point here. It's the point. If you understand who actually runs things as a Christian, that you know that the king over all the kings is Jesus. And when he opens a door, it's a picture of sovereignty, a powerful picture of sovereignty. No one can shut it. And when he shuts the door, no one will be able to open it. And you and I are to live in the confidence that that's how the world is being run right now. That's how it's going. Um, uh, now, you know that requires you to say, well, I don't see I don't see how Jesus could be, Doing this, that, and the other thing. No, the right answer. To that no, you don't. Uh, we never have. We've never been great at figuring out what God is doing. You know, which is why the very the very height of wisdom, as we've said more times than we can count, right? Because it's the great summary of of biblical wisdom, really, in a nutshell. Proverbs three, five, and six. What do you do? You trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what don't you do under any circumstances? Don't ever do this. What's that? Lean on your own understanding. Don't try to figure out what God is up to. Because you'll instantly go astray when you do that. When you think, the only thing God could really be up to is this, is this. Back in 2020, according to some self-designated prophets, of course, um, Trump was going to be president in 2020. They were told, the Lord said it. The Lord said it. Well, looks like he didn't. He didn't. No, that that kind of thinking, that kind of talk, that's that's nonsense. That's nonsense. The, The whole point is we don't understand what God is up to. We never have. We... We, 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 we never will. You know, it's it's, it's ridiculous as the as saying that, you know, Levi and Judah should have aw- w- awakened one morning and, and, and thought, you know, you know what I bet? I bet this coat that dad gave to Joseph is about saving us in Egypt. Well, there's no way they could make any connection between what was actually going on. Or better yet, my favorite place in that whole narrative, my favorite place in that whole narrative is when the the sons come back the second time, you know, Jacob is stubborn, he digs in his heels. Benjamin may go a lot of places, but he's never going to Egypt. Egypt. But then they're out of money and they're out of food. Not out of money, they're out of food. And then Jacob makes that great little statement where he says, Joseph is dead. Benjamin's as good as dead. Simeon is good as dead. Everything is against me. And what do we know as he says that? Benjamin's never been safer in his life than when he arrives in Egypt. Your son, Joseph, who remembers you fondly is on the throne in Egypt. Everything is is in place. Not only is not everything against you, absolutely everything that is unfolding right now is for you. And he can't see any of it, and that's where you and I live most of the time. Because we're we're assured everything works together for our good. Well, that does not seem to be happening. There's all kinds of pieces in my life that I would change right now if I could. Right now. I can't. I can't. Um, but I'm still supposed to trust. Jesus is opening all the doors and he's closing all the doors and that's where we live. Uh, verse 8. We're to note the situation within the church of Philadelphia and it's, it's encouraging. I know your works. Behold, I have given before you a door having been opened. And just like the image and no one is able to close it. For you have a little power. And you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Now these, Jesus knows, and he's acknowledging, these people have evidence of genuine spiritual life about them, and notice where that evidence is found. I know your works. It's not because they're saved by works. They're not saved by works. They're saved by grace through faith, and that not of themselves, it's the gift of God, it's not a result of works that any man should boast. And that's usually where we stop in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the end of verse 9, but verse 10 goes on to talk about being created in Christ Jesus for good works, being born again for good works. Well, here, that that's what he's saying here, is I know your works. I know that you have... Evidence of new birth stamped all over yourselves there. The few of you, I think, is the idea we'll get to in a moment. The few of you there in this little enclave of Christians in Philadelphia, I've given before you a door having been opened, which no one is able to. To close it. In other words, you have made a connection with me, and I'm in the process of saving you and establishing a church there in Philadelphia, and no one can stop that. If I decide, if if God decides that you are going to end up walking around someday in the new heaven and the new earth, guess what? you're going to be found walking around someday in the new heaven and the new earth. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Uh, Doesn't matter how powerful the forces are around you. If he has really decided, nope, you're going to survive all of this. You're going to make it um, to the new heaven and the new earth, as we'll see near the end of our text, You've gotten the name of the new Jerusalem already written on your head. What does that mean? You're going there. That's ultimately where you arrive. Well, if, well, if sort of, but not no ifs here, if God's decided it, so it will be. Um, and that too is just something to really uh to to think about 1 Corinthians 16:9 1 Corinthians 16:9 we'll just look at one of these cuz we we can't run out of time before we get to the rapture thing right <laughs> so you know af- after the after the after the sales pitch uh we've we've got we've got to get there um we've got to get there but 1 Corinthians 16:9 right at the end of Paul's letter to the Uh, wayward Corinthians. For a door has been, a great door has been opened to me and of effectiveness, though many are opposing. Many are opposing. A great door has been opened to me for effectiveness. Uh, Now remember, Corinth is the place where Paul needs a vision in the middle of the night. God to say, don't quit. Don't give up. I've got many people here. In other words, Paul, Paul was going to, he was ready to quit. He was ready to give up. Um, on Friday, I was visiting with my, I, I generally have a Zoom prayer meeting. and My brother's part of it. When, uh, and my sister, if she's on a continental, you know, actually, in recent years, no matter where she is in the world, you know she'll she'll try to be on that and a few other people. But uh, um, you know the, 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 the Anderson boys are like a bad rash. Um, you know you've you've had me as a rash for thirty four years. My brother's been where he is for forty three years. Forty three years in uh, what they call set. The, the name of the town has changed, but he's still there. The name of the tribe has changed, but he's still there. Um, he, he's, he's, he's still there. Uh, but he tells the story. He tells the story of uh, 1982. He had, he had written up his uh, letter of re- resignation, um, had it uh, went to a work weekend to give it to the um, oh, the guy that was overseeing um, the missionaries in that district the superintendent uh, I believe they might have called him and um, and so and it was, a, it was it was it was it was an absolute decided deal and so nearing the end of the work day then, My brother finally decided, well, you know, we better find that guy. Um, And then I'll hand him this thing. And then we're moving back to the United States and going into Christian camping, which is what I should have done um, to start with. And, uh, And then somebody says, oh, he left. Why do you need him? Well... I, well, I might as well just tell you because I'm I'm leaving. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm not doing this anymore. What? Why would you do that? And then they, they spend two or three hours talking about it, and he, he, he talks him out of it. He talks him out of it. And now, 41 years later, he's still there. Well, that's Paul in Corinth. He's right, give it, I'm done with this. This is a waste of time. The Lord sends him this vision, and he, and he, and he, and he stays. He he stays there, because of because of that vision. Um, verse eight. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. And no one is able to shut it. That is, you're going to stay, you're going to be there, you're going to be doing these things as long as I say. I know that you have but a little power. In other words, I know that you don't think much of anything is happening there. You have just a little power. You You are not impressively successful at all. So far as you can tell. But you do have this. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. (laughs) That's not like a giant accomplishment. Wow, you guys, at, you guys at Philadelphia are really, really an impressive church. What's the impressive things that we've done? Well, even though you're really small, you've kept my word. And what you haven't done is deny my name, which there's been considerable cultural pressure placed upon you to do just that. And you haven't done it. And that's what he has to say about him. Um, thirdly, verse 9. We are to note the situation as it will be seen and experienced in the end. Now, this is. Uh, this is controversial language here. This is kind of disturbing language, seems a bit arrogant, but it's, it's the kind of thing that, uh, that you find throughout the Old Testament, particularly of, of uh, Israel uh, and, uh, and, and the Jews overall, a small, relatively insignificant country that'll turn out to be you know, far more significant than the Babylonian Empire or the Assyrian Empire or the Greek Empire or the Roman Empire, which is the point in the visions of, uh, of Daniel. And, and this, this is what is definitely, this is what you'd call this is eschatological language. That is, this is a fast forward to how things will be at the end of time, not how they'll be you know, sometime in next year, or, or um, in, in in two years. No, no, this is a this is a fast forward, all the way to the end of time. Behold, I give. From the synagogue of Satan, those calling themselves to be Jews, and they are not, but they are false. Now we've already dealt with this once, but we'll come back in case you weren't here that week and. So what what is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the fact, particularly in Philadelphia, what seems to have been the case is that the cultural power in Philadelphia is not primarily pagan, it's primarily Jewish. And the Jewish community in Philadelphia, from which, again, likely the church has largely come out, right? So somebody comes and they're going to preach the gospel. Where do they go to preach the gospel? they go to where people might have some notion of a Messiah. Where would that be? The synagogue. And so you go, and what's your announcement? Jesus has come. Uh, He's the Messiah. Messiah is here. Believe and come become a follower of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and, And many did. Many did. They did not appreciate that at the synagogue. And so they had they had a they had a a weapon that they could use against Christians and that weapon was political and it worked this way within the Roman Empire there was a carve out for Jewish people so for the Jewish people there's this carve out that said everybody in the Roman Empire has to bow the knee to Caesar and say Caesar is Lord. But we know that you guys would rather die than do that. And we've killed enough of you to know that there's no beating any sense into you. And so for whatever reason, no doubt actually related to the province of God, we give you a carve out. We've carved out. That doesn't apply to you. It applies to everybody else but you, it doesn't apply to you. So you don't have to uh, say Caesar is Lord and you can still function just fine within the Roman Empire. Well, in the early days of the church, as far as the Roman Empire is concerned, these Christians are nothing but a little offshoot of the Jews. And so, uh, you know, Jewish is Jewish. Uh, We don't care. They can have the carve out too. But now in the synagogue, they're starting to say, oh, no, 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 no. These people are not Jewish. They might be ethnically Jews, but they're not Jewish. Uh, They're not of our religion. They've left our religion. They claim that a crucified failure is our Messiah. We completely reject that. Completely. So please don't treat them like you treat us because they don't deserve to be treated that way. And the Romans begin to say, okay, all right. Now we understand that. And now the persecution has started to fall on the Christians. And the umbrella of the protection of the Jewish community is gone. And it's gone at the direction and by the plan of the Jewish community. Now, as you'll see here, John does not mince words as to where he thinks that ultimately comes from. As we've seen, these are really, really, again, fighting words. So this, you know, th- this, is, this is a good place of many to remind yourself of this. Um, John does not believe in the power and in the wisdom of nuanced political correctness as a way forward. He simply doesn't. Right? Because if you do, you don't say anything within the neighborhood, within the county, within the state of what he says. This is not politically correct language. Behold, I uh, will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, but they are not. Who's he talking about? The Jews at the synagogue. Well, where does he get off calling them satanic? Well, it's simply because they haven't Embraced Jesus as their Messiah, and Jesus is their Messiah. And so, if you don't embrace Him as your Messiah, you're 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 no longer really Jews. In the ultimate sense, right? I shared this with a number of different people in question. I don't think I said it out loud here. Maybe I did, but forgive me for the review because you never know who's here and have given. Sunday anyways. But if, if you just go back into it, it, Israel's history, it would work exactly the same way, right? So if you are, if you're Jewish in the sense that you're Abraham's offspring, and then you come, you come to Mount Sinai, right? Moses goes up on the mountain, he brings down the Ten Commandments, and he says, here is God's law for the people of God, and, uh, And you say, nope, 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 nope. Abraham never was writing out stuff like that. That is completely inconsistent with uh, really being among the people of Abraham. I'm not, I'm not, I say, nyet to all that Ten Commandments stuff. Out on that. What happens to you? Outside the camp, you're no longer you're no longer really in the people of God anymore. That's what they did. There's all kinds of provisions. If you, you come on Sunday night in the, in, the, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find people being put outside the people of God for this and that on a regular basis. It happens all the time. It's all he's doing here. They call themselves Jews. They're not. How can you tell? They've rejected the Messiah. And you can't really be a genuine Jew and reject the Messiah. And in fact, if you embrace the Messiah, there is a sense in which you become the genuine Jewish community. Now we argue vociferously about that, but the New Testament really doesn't leave you a lot of room to argue with that, calling, you know, the, the language of Abraham's offspring And Paul's favorite way of speaking of Christians 70-some times, in Christ. Well, that only makes... the In Christ is a profoundly Jewish category. In Israel's Messiah. We are in the Messiah. We're in Christ. so it, you know it's it's absurd down through the years of the tendency of so-called Christians to be anti-Semitic when the whole foundation of of, of Christian faith is founded in a Jewish man who is Israel's Messiah, and that's and that is our our hope uh, at the moment the Jewish community in Philadelphia is holding all the cards. And all John is saying is, in the end, that will not be the case. In the end, um, in the end, making friends with the Roman Empire and buddying up and playing political games like this will not turn out to have worked at all. Now we're running out of time, so we got to jump to ten, because we got to get at least there. Uh, and we'll we'll devote the rest of the time to that, because I just looked up and see, wow, what happened? Um, verse ten, verse ten. This is this is the say. Where does the idea of the rapture come from? In the book of Revelation. Let me qualify that. This is not their only text. But this is their central text. Uh, The biggest of all the guns in the book of Revelation is 3.10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth? So this is this is what dispensationalists referred to as the rapture. I will keep you from the hour of trial. That is, I will remove you from the earth just in front of when the hour of trial arrives. Now that this that this is the text, I thought you know. In case you think, well, no, you're probably caricaturing, and and I'm not above that. Um, but, uh, in, in in this case, in this case, um, uh, the probably the, well the, the dispensational theologian who wrote the most was right right here, uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer. Um, this is volume four of his eight volume. Systematic theology, and and uh, and here's this is a chapter prophecy concerning great tribulation, subhead D, the major scripture period, and then he writes this: the determining passage is Revelation three ten, which is an address by the glorified Christ to the Philadelphian church. The Lord declares because you have kept my word, the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. It is generally agreed that Philadelphia represents the true church which has continued from the beginning and will continue until Removal by translation. Uh, he should have said it's generally agreed with indispensationalism, but that's true. It is also conceded that the hour of temptation is a reference to the great tribulation. Those who would relate the church to the tribulation interpret this passage as a guarantee that the church will be preserved while passing through the tribulation. That's fair. Those who oppose this view assert that the guarantee is that the church will be kept out of that hour. And there it is, there it is. And you know, in somebody like a John MacArthur, he, he has his own study Bible. Well, he is with he he's definite he's he's a rapture guy, um, and, and more more famous Richard David Jeremiah. He's got his own study Bible. Um, well, he he's a rapture guy, as well. Um, now, just uh, and, and what it, what that does is it changes the way that you read chapter six through nineteen. In this sense, right? So, if in chapter six and nineteen, through nineteen, if you if you take the rapture view. Then all the stuff that happens in chapter six through nineteen happens after the church is gone in a pre-tribulation rapture. So they're they're gone. It has no existential connection to you. Uh, if you take it the other way around, um, uh, then you're going through the events, the events that are depicted there. Now that's a big difference. That's a big difference. Now, here, here is. Uh, those of you who know me well know that I am I am uh, I am not a a, a pre tribulation rapture person. I haven't been for um, for thirty eight years, uh, really. In, in fact, um, um, I have a, a friend here visiting that was in my first church, uh, Joan, Joan, Joan right here, and so she was there in uh, Center Grove 38 uh, years ago when I, when I went there, and, uh, and the midweek service in that church was on Thursday nights, and, and and the midweek service, now Joan was a, a, a teenager at that time, so she would not have been in this class, they had youth group meeting then, Uh, but, um, um, the a guy that had sort of overseen and run, really key leader in that church for forty years by that time was named Murray Peterson and Murray was sitting right up in the front row. And I had challenged, I, I had challenged them in the beginning of the class on Revelation. You know, w- you raise your hand when we we come to the to the rapture, and um, and I, I I don't remember where Murray raised his hand. Um, but he did. One, one, one Thursday night, we were ways in, and kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, he raised his hand and said, uh, uh, I said, Murray. And he goes, well, Pastor, uh, I think here. I said, oh, dear. You, so how, how do you see it right here? And, and it wasn't in this text. But he said, uh, well, I don't see it here, but this would be a really good place for it. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Uh, that was, uh, and he believed, he, he was a pre tribulation rapture uh, person um, him, himself, though, uh, was at least somewhat persuaded. Well, let, let me give you the immediate context here, just seems to me, I mean, and I mean the immediate context right around this verse, to move, in the context of the, first, of the seven churches. Move mightily against this reading uh, and so that that's what i'm that's what I'm you know doing here in these verses, and we'll close we'll just close off with this. The most important really is the one outside of the book of revelation, and that's why I left it for for last, but we'll just have to do these very, very quickly because we're we're over time, but three ten a Because you have kept the word of my patience. So that little phrase there, uh, my patience. Whose patience is that? Jesus' patience. Jesus' patience in what sense? Jesus' patience in going to the cross to be crucified. Because you have taken up the same attitude that I took up of suffering, to hang on to the truth, and to carry out the role of God. Because you have kept my patience, I shall keep you from the hour of trial. Now, that's the key phrase. And grammatically, it could either mean, exactly as the dispensation was taken, it can mean you would be removed from the hour of trial. Or it could mean you will be preserved through the hour of trial. Those are the two options. That's really the only two options. Um, But my opening contention is the reference to the patience of the cross just sounds more like going through the hour of trial than being lifted out of it. Verse 11, the same. Verse 11, I come quickly. Grasp that which you have in order that no one will take your crown. That is, hold fast to the confession of faith that you've got because you're going to be in a position where people are going to try to get you to do the opposite. Don't do it. So it sounds like they're in quite a bit of trouble in verse 11, uh, which is really, really consistent with... um, going through, but and, and maybe the most powerful of these is because it's repeated seven times. Every church of in the seven closes off with the one conquering. I shall make a pillar in the temple of God. The one conquering. What does it mean to conquer? To persevere. The one persevering. I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Uh, well, if you've been raptured out, there's really no, no you know, we still got to conquer, I guess, until that happens, to be fair. But the overall context is perseverance, 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 perseverance. And and that's where the John 17 text um, is, is really important and powerful. And... And and dispensationalists, they, dispensationalists fear it a bit. Now they explain it away as a different context and so forth, but it, the, the the grammar and the, the word choice is so identical. Um, so here's what it says in uh, in John seventeen fifteen. We'll do a little Greek prepositional lesson as part of this as we, as we close. So John 17, 15, and I ask in order that he may take them, not, I, and I do not ask, in order that he may take them from the world. Speaking of his disciples. So Jesus says, I don't ask my father to take them out of the world. But, in order that he may keep them, same preposition, from the evil one. I don't ask that he take them from the world, but that he keep them from the evil one. The one is ektu kosmu, the other one ektu Paneru, the evil one. Um, well, clearly, right in that passage, what are you being protected? How are you being protected? Through the trial. The evil one has all kinds of access to you. And you simply survive it. That's what he's praying. And, of course, it, it's not altogether fair, but um, it's fair enough to mention Right, that this this text when he says, "I don't ask that you be removed from the world," you know, if you're if you're pre-tribulation, you have to just sort of until later. Then that is the plan that you be removed from the world. Um, Now, having having said that, we're we're out of time. I mean. We didn't decide the thing, and uh, and and if you like David Jeremiah, you probably you could just pray for me more. Um, uh, but 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 of course, the, you know I'll just close with this. The um, um, the happy news for me will be like well, whoop! I was wrong. I'm in heaven now. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, didn't 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 see that coming. Um, uh, but uh, 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 but 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 if you take the other view, what is it? Then you find yourself saying, "Well, this can't be. This can't be." I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be out of here before anything like this is happening. And I, I, I I'm telling you, there's a, a book I read, and we just have to close um, uh, on. Uh, On how how Stalin treated the uh, Christians in Stalinist Russia in the 40s and 50s, detailed description of the tortures and the and many believers simply went insane um, in the midst of what was done to them. That's so brutal that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even read it out loud. It it really is. It's that it's that it's just too brutal to imagine. And one of the reasons that a certain theological program works in America in a way that it just wouldn't work in the Soviet Union is you really can't imagine anything worse than what's described as happening to those people. You couldn't be more evil than that. You couldn't be deadlier than that. You couldn't be more torturous than that. You couldn't be more brutal than that. You couldn't do it it's literally as bad as it gets and so develop a theological system that says because that's never happened to in america in america it never will that's not realistic it's american it's american i'm afraid let's pray Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to have words from you. And we pray that you'd enable us to take your words to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you'll notice I've shrewdly gone over time, so there's no possible way we could have questions. Um, Very, very shrewd.